Please turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Corinthians. You may be wondering, why are we turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 through 510? Uh, we've been in John. We just finished up uh, the section of John we've been working on. We'll start an Advent series next week. And so uh, I had a week. So we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. And uh, if you were at the evening service uh, a few weeks back, we also looked at 2 Corinthians then, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11. And then we talked about repentance. Uh, this morning we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 5, 7 and talk about faith. And if you come to the evening service in December in a few weeks, uh, we'll also look at 2 Corinthians and we'll talk about uh, new obedience in the Christian life. So there's, there's a little mini-series here if you cobble these sermons together of faith, uh, repentance, and the Christian life. So this morning, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 5, 10. And before we read that, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, your word we thank you uh, for Jesus who is revealed to us in the scriptures, and we pray this morning, Father, that you would give us eyes to see, that you would give us the eyes of faith, and that you would help us to understand what that even means. Uh, we pray that you would give us wisdom as we look at your word together, and that you would strengthen and grow our faith in Jesus, your son. And We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we, that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. 
He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Every one of us faces troubles of one kind or another. Christian, non-Christian, male, female, black, white, rich, poor, everyone faces trouble. Troubles from without, troubles from within. Bodily illness, mental illness, emotional turmoil, relational strife, vocational stress, financial uncertainty, international discord. Parents and children, husbands and wives, employers and employees, everyone faces trouble. Now, somehow suffering has become a theme of my preaching. I I didn't set out to talk about trouble even this morning. I set out to talk about faith, and we'll get there. But I'm going to begin with suffering. Why is that? Well, because that's where we live. Maybe I'm overly sensitive. I don't think so. Uh, Maybe I've seen more than most, but I bet you've seen your fair share. We all live in a time of trouble. And so did the Apostle Paul, which is really what is going to lead us in that direction this morning. And our topic this morning is how to face suffering. So we'll look at four things, where not to look in suffering, where to look in suffering, how to look in suffering, and how looking shapes life. So where not to look, where to look, how to look, and how looking shapes life. Uh, I should uh, say, again, we're looking primarily at one verse this morning, uh, one verse that is not even itself a complete sentence. It picks up mid-sentence, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. So how to face suffering. Uh, Point one, where not to look. In suffering. What are you going through right now? We read a little of what Paul was going through earlier. He mentioned being afflicted in every way. Do you ever feel like trouble is coming at you from all sides? He was perplexed. Do you ever feel confused when suffering and trials come? Persecuted. Does it ever seem like people oppose everything that you do? struck down and experiencing death. Paul says his outer self is wasting away. Do you ever feel like your body is slowly falling apart and you can do nothing about it? And that's just in chapter four. In chapter five, Paul says he groans and is burdened and he feels far from God. Do you ever feel God's absence in your troubles? What do you do in the midst of all that? Where do you look? Paul says in verse 6, while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For, verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. 
As long as we are in our mortal bodies, this is a time of trial and suffering. We are, in some sense, bodily at least, away from the Lord. How do we live? We walk by faith, not by sight. What does that mean, not by sight? The word sight there is actually not the word for the sense of sight. It's the word for appearance or the form of something. It's used many times in scripture, like in Luke 3.22, when the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus at his baptism, Luke tells us he descends on Jesus in bodily form, that's the word, like a dove. Or Luke 9.29, as Jesus is praying on the mountain, we're told that the appearance, that's our word, the appearance of Jesus' face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. Or John 5, 37, Jesus says of the Father, his voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And so we walk by faith, not by sight, means uh, we walk by faith, not by appearances, not by the outward shape of things. And think about how important that was for Paul. What if he walked by appearances, affliction, confusion, persecution, Ever since Paul became a Christian, his life had gotten worse. What if Paul focused on his circumstances? What happens when you focus on your circumstances? If you are a Christian, you, you, you might begin to doubt. Uh, God, if you really love me, why? You might despair. My, my life is horrible and it's never going to get any better. Or you might live in denial. You, you just pretend everything is okay. You spin everything in the best possible way, in a way that goes beyond just, just looking on the bright side. You, you believe God loves you, so everything must be good, right? So you just keep telling yourself that again and again. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. But when that fails, when the delusion falls apart, you come back to doubt and despair. And so doubt, despair, denial, all three are results of focusing on your circumstances, living by appearances. Have you lived there? I have moments in life where I become a complete pagan. My confessional theology is still fine, but my functional theology is all wrong. In that moment, in the heat of some difficulty, I focus on the trouble I may not doubt God, but I just forget him and immediately go to despair and self-pity and hopelessness. My eyes are in the wrong place. I'm focused on the wrong things. I'm focused on the appearance of things. So how should we face suffering? Well, first and foremost, don't look at the appearance of things. Don't focus on your circumstances. We walk by faith, not by sight. Walking by appearances is the opposite of walking by faith here. Now, that doesn't mean that we deny our trouble. We'll get to that. But we must not focus on it either. Paul Tripp used to say that suffering shrinks our world to the size of our world. My whole world becomes this little box with only me and my trouble inside. That's all I can see. It leads to either denial or doubt or despair. That's where we are to not look in suffering, at our circumstances. 
at our suffering, at the appearance of things. So where are we to look? Two, where to look in suffering. Sometimes people say things like, well, at least you've got your health. Which seems terribly unhelpful at the time. Uh, we, We point people away from bad circumstances and to better ones. But of course, those better ones may not last. Or they may seem pretty puny compared to the hard things that we face in life. So where are we to look? Paul says we walk by faith and not by sight. What does that mean, to walk by faith? Well, first, faith looks to God. Faith recognizes that God is on the scene. We are not alone in this. We are not helpless victims. Faith recognizes that the God of the universe, the God who made all things, the one who has the whole world in his hands, is at work in my circumstances. When you think about your life or or when you tell your story, is God in the picture? So often, even as Christians, again, we live in functional unbelief. We may be confessionally Christians. We may be confessionally reformed. But we can be practically and functionally complete pagans in the way that we live. We confess the true God, but we act as if we are alone. Our eyes are focused on our circumstances, on what our eyes can see, and not on the God who ordains those circumstances and is at work in the midst of them. And so faith, first and foremost, of course, looks to God. But second, faith looks to the promises of God. Think about the context here. 2 Corinthians 4.14, Paul says, Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. 2 Corinthians 4.17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 2 Corinthians 5.1, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. You see, Paul is looking to the promises of God, of resurrection and of glory. The same can be said of the writer of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews says of faith in Hebrews 11.1, he says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And then he goes on to talk about God's promises. He says of Abraham, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob were all looking for the fulfillment of God's promise promise. And so the object of faith is first God, but second, the promises of God. And yet the object of faith cannot just be God and his promises. Third, faith is particularly focused on Christ. See, the promises of God are empty apart from Christ. Paul said earlier in 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. Christ went to the cross to bear God's wrath that we might receive his blessing. Christ rose from the dead, receiving the promises so that we might receive the promises in him. Christ has received every spiritual blessing in his resurrection and now pours out every spiritual blessing on those who believe in him. Knowing that God made certain promises, even believing that those promises are true in and of itself is not true faith. Unless you are trusting in Jesus 
who has secured those promises for us. So faith is looking to God, looking to his promises, and trusting in Christ who has secured those promises for his people. Faith looks to Christ, and only then through Christ, to the promises. Only in Christ does God become not a God of wrath to the rebellious, but a God of mercy and grace toward the believing. And so when facing suffering, don't look at or focus on your circumstances. Rather, look to Christ and through Christ to God and his promises in Christ. Realize that the God who raised Jesus from the dead will also, as Paul says elsewhere, raise us with him at the return of Christ Jesus. To Christ and then through Christ to God and his promises. And yet we need to spell this out a little bit more. What, is it, what does it mean to look in the midst of our suffering? How? do we look in suffering? There are some who think that to look to the promises is to claim the promises, which is to expect to receive them right now. For some, faith is a demand. If you only believe everything can be yours right now, if you don't have the health and wealth you want, it's because you don't believe enough. Uh, You don't have enough faith. Uh, Sometimes this is explicit, And yet, more often than not, it's more subtle. We think things like, God, you owe me. How dare you allow this in my life? If you were really a loving God, my life would be different. But we walk by faith, not by sight. And we need to see three things about the the looking of faith here. Faith is counter sight. Faith is a kind of sight. And faith will become sight. First, faith is counter sight. Uh, Faith implies absence. Uh, Paul says in our passage, again in verse 6, he says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For, verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. To be in the body is to be absent from the Lord. Therefore, we walk by faith. We walk by faith because something is absent. Faith is the mode of the Christian life as long as we are absent from the Lord. Faith in this passage is not a power by which I claim what is mine so that I get it right here, right now. Faith is a power by which I cling to God's promises, which will be mine in the future, on the last day. Now, don't get me wrong. There are promises that are fulfilled now. We are reconciled to God now in Christ. We have God's presence now in the Spirit. We have God's fatherly care now. We have the sanctifying work of the Spirit now. We have the hope of the resurrection now. But in fact, the the way Paul uses the word faith here in 2 Corinthians is the same way he uses the word hope in Romans 8. There too, he says, we groan as we wait adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, our physical resurrection from the dead. And then Paul says in Romans 8, 24 to 25, for in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We walk by faith, not by sight. We do not yet have the promises in possession. And so we cling to the promises by faith, in hope. As a result, faith is not only just not by sight, it is often counter sight. Uh, Paul says of Abraham in Romans 4, 18 to 21, 
that in hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. That's the promise. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. You see, so often the promises of God run directly counter to our experience. Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. Oh, yeah? but I'm half dead and my wife is barren. What do you mean I'm going to give you a son? I remember leading a Bible study on the book of Daniel while in seminary, and one of the commentators said the theme of Daniel was despite present appearances, God is in control. That's really the theme of life, isn't it? Despite present appearances, God is in control. So often the promises of God, that the work of God, run completely contrary to present appearance. Faith is believing the promises of God, even contrary to all practical appearances, because they are the promises of God. And he is more trustworthy even than my own senses. Faith is counter sight. But second, faith is also a kind of sight. Earlier in chapter 4, verse 18, Paul says, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The writer of Hebrews says of the patriarchs in Hebrews 11, 13, that these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And then he says of Moses in Hebrews eleven twenty seven, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. What, what does that mean? What does it mean to look to the things that are unseen and to see the promises from afar but not receive them and to see him who is invisible? Faith is a kind of sense by which we see something not with the eyes in our head, but with the eyes of our heart. Uh, Paul prays for the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, he prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? How can we know the the hope that God has for us, the riches of God's inheritance for us, and the greatness of God's power toward us? Only if God opens the eyes of our heart. See, faith is often countersight, and yet it's a kind of sight all its own. And third, one day faith will become sight. It's not that these unseen things are intrinsically unseeable. And we might say that that about God, right? Paul talks about God's invisible attributes, and he mentions God as the invisible God at least twice in the New Testament. But even there in Romans 1, Paul says God's invisible attributes have been clearly perceived in the things that he has made. And in Colossians 1.15, Paul says Christ is the image of the invisible God. So that while God is intrinsically invisible, he clearly makes himself known first generally in creation and then redemptively through his son. Uh, 
But when I say these unseen things are not intrinsically unseeable, I mean not God, but the promises of God. Hebrews 11, when it talks about Noah building an ark, it says, by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, built an ark. As yet unseen, but he would see them. John says in 1 John 3, 2, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Finally, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Why is love the greatest? Do you ever wonder that? Why does Paul say love is greater than faith? Because faith will become sight, and hope will become possession, but love alone abides. See, one day we will no longer look forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God, Hebrews 11.10. We will simply live in that city. One day faith will be sight. And this, uh, by the way, uh, distinguishes what theologians call saving faith from faith in the promises, right? We, we talked about looking to Christ and looking through Christ. We will never stop looking to Christ, He will always and only be the foundation of our salvation, and we will celebrate that for eternity. But currently, we experience only the first fruits of that salvation. We look for the fullness by faith in hope, but one day that by faith and in hope will become present possession. One day, faith will be sight. Now we see in a mirror dimly, then face to face. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And then he says the eternal things are unseen. The eternal weight of glory is presently unseen. As the flood was unseen for Noah when he built the ark. As the city is unseen for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The content of the promises is always unseen. We presently have the promise as promise. One day, we will have the promise as possession. We presently have faith in what is to come. But one day, it will have come. And faith will be turned to sight. So remember, we're thinking about how to face suffering. One, where not to look at our circumstances. Two, where to look. Ultimately, to Christ and through Christ to the promises Third, how to look, we look to what is unseen. We look to what will one day be seen. And finally, how looking shapes life. How does faith shape our actions? Paul says we walk by faith. Earlier in 2 Corinthians, Paul commended the Corinthians by saying that they stand firm in their faith. But Paul is going beyond this here. To stand firm in faith is to hold on to belief, but to walk by faith is to let that belief shape the way you live your life. They they go hand in hand, of course, right? To stand firm in faith enables walking by faith. Uh, Peter says to Christians uh, about the devil and his schemes in 1 Peter 5, 9, resist him firm in your faith. 
And of course, it's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. So to believe in that grace will lead to a life of faith. They go hand in hand. But when we, are talk, when we talk about walking, we are talking specifically about the activity of the Christian life. And we walk by faith. Meaning our Christian life is shaped by the Christian faith. Christian behavior is shaped by Christian belief. Devotion is shaped by doctrine. Godliness is shaped by the gospel. So we walk by faith. To live the Christian life is not to stand still. It's not to stay seated or lie down, but to walk. There is movement in the Christian life. Enoch walked with God. Noah walked with God. Abraham and Isaac walked with God. Psalm 1 begins, blessed is the man who walks, not in one way, but in another. We walk by faith, not by sight. But how? How does that work? How does faith shape action? Faith focuses on the future, empowering us to live in the present. We walk by faith. What does that look like? First, faith enables us to live in hope and not despair. The call of our passage is that our lives must be directed by faith, not appearances. We experience many hardships, troubles, unanswered prayer. To be honest, even good fortune can throw us off. But we are called not to live by appearances, but by promises, which means we can, as Paul puts it here, be of good courage despite present appearances. We can walk by faith, not by sight. We can have joy in the promises rather than despair in the appearances. Again, 2 Corinthians 4, 17. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It's not that the light momentary afflictions are not real. It's not that we shouldn't acknowledge them, grieve them, mourn them. To walk by faith is not to pretend that troubles do not exist. To walk by faith is not to grin and bear it, but to groan and be of good courage. Faith is not neither escapist nor a demand. Rather, faith focuses on the future, enabling us to have hope in the present and so joy in the face of trials. Faith enables us to live in hope and not despair. And that hope then enables us to love in the present. See, hope for the future frees us to love in the present. Notice how this works. If, if life, if this life, if present existence is all that there is, if I am living by appearances, if I've got to get mine while I have the chance in this moment, that might lead to things like rivalry. For me to get mine, I might have to get it before you. That might lead to despair. I failed to get mine. Now life has no meaning. That might lead to self-destruction, right? I'm trying to get as much as I can, even though I know it's not good for me. But I've got to get it now. But hope changes things. The best things for the Christian are to come. We are reconciled to the Father now, but we will see him then. We know he loves us now because of the cross. We will experience that love in fullness then when Christ returns and all things are made new. The best things for the Christian are things to come, things that are guaranteed by Christ and things that are infinite, not a zero-sum game. What does that mean? It means that I don't, I don't have to fight you for the best things. They are a gift of Christ. They are sure and they are coming. I don't have to despair of what I don't have in the present because I know the best things are coming. 
I don't have to indulge or overindulge or kill myself indulging. I can enjoy present good things for what they are in the hope of even better things to come. All of which means I am free to love. See, I can die for you only when I don't have to live for me. Hope for the future frees us to love in the present. Notice how this worked with Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Christ endured not just suffering, trial, difficulty, but the wrath of the Father for sinners in hope for the joy set before him. He did that for us. He came to be where we are so that we might be where he is. So how do you look in suffering? Well, you look upward to Christ and forward to his return. We can end with Paul's words in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, where Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would set our eyes on Jesus and all things that are ours in Jesus. Help us to set our minds on things above. Help us to set our minds on the return of Christ on the last day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.